Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of From Ha-Ha's to Ahas with Sybil Wilkes and Stephen Hill. Hello, Stephen Hill. Hey, now. <laughs> How you doing, Sybil Wilkes? I'm good. I'm good. Back in the saddle again, my friend, and we're talking about uh, something very special, and uh, it is regarding Alzheimer's disease, and especially Alzheimer's uh, disease as it affects the African-American community. There are a lot of statistics that we're going to discuss, uh, a lot of numbers that are going to perhaps surprise and t- for some and perhaps not all people who are listening today. Um, but we are going to have a, a discussion about this with two very, very special women, starting with Dr. Lee Johnson. She is the Associate Director of the Institute for Translational Research. That's a lot, and I don't know what that means. And an associate professor in the Departments of Pharmacology and Neuroscience and Family Medicine. Uh, She is also uh, a part of the Black ALZ brain study. uh, And uh, we're gonna talk about that, and especially uh, as we can uh, perhaps inform people about the necessity for this study. Secondly, we have our friend, Pat Bailey, uh, whose mother uh, did have Alzheimer's disease, and Pat Bailey is a caregiver advocate. Uh, she is the founder of She Ages Well, as well as, uh, as a caregiver outreach initiative. This is She Ages Well. And upon her mom's passing, she decided that it was her life's mission to help families age well. And she also believes if we are accountable to each other for persons as for persons spanning from the cradle to the grace, to grace, the same village it took to raise the child is going to be required to care for the adult as they age. That is a lot, but it is uh, very impactful in terms of really looking at our lives, as as Ms. Pat has said, from the cradle to grace. Welcome, ladies. Thank you for having me. Hey, Sybil. Stephen Hill, I'm... As a part of of what we do in our day-to-day, Alzheimer's is really not uh, something that we, you and I, I I assume, um, do not come into contact with Alzheimer's on a daily basis uh, with parents or or other family members or even friends. Um, But this is a a really important discussion that we're having, Steve, um, especially in terms of uh, the caregiving aspect, which is Ms. Pat's specialty and the Alzheimer's aspect and, and dementia, which is Dr. Johnson's. I have two friends who, have, who are very, very close to the situation, as a matter of fact, uh, and they've decided to do different things. So I'm very interested in this conversation. One uh, decided to, uh, with, with their mother, uh, um, uh, have them in a, uh, a care facility where there are other people going through the same things on the onset of Alzheimer's uh, and another friend who decided there was going to be home care. So I'm very interested in this conversation to see how, uh, you know, the, the, kind of what, what, what our professionals have to say about, about both, both things. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. So this 
topic, obviously. Um, let's start with you, Dr. Johnson, and, and let's talk about Alzheimer's disease and, and especially the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia. Sure. Dementia is a general term that's used for a decline in your mental ability severe enough to interfere with your daily life. Mm -hmm. Alzheimer's disease is the most common cause of dementia. It's a specific disease where dementia is just a blanket term. So Alzheimer's disease is a progressive brain disorder. It's characterized by the buildup of plaques and tangles in your brain and it results in a loss of neurons and their connections. And these changes affect a person's ability to remember and think, and then eventually their ability to live independently. Now with, with Alzheimer's, is, is it still true? I know it used to be true that you couldn't diagnose Alzheimer's. You could just rule out everything else. Is that still the way the diagnosis or can you actually diagnose Alzheimer's at this point? So we are better at ruling out other things, but you are correct. Um, and that's part of what we are trying to do with this study is to help refine diagnostics and um, particularly how this disease presents among various communities and diverse communities. And diverse communities, and, and, and as we're talking about Black folks and how this affects our, our family members, and, and I dare say, even in some cases, ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah, have you found that it, it presents, is, 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 is that to lead to someone to believe that, that it presents, it might present itself different in Caucasians than it does in, in our community? Well, so we tend to find that African-Americans and Mexican-Americans tend to be diagnosed at earlier, earlier with the disease. Um, however, what we're finding is that we believe that the risk factors for Alzheimer's disease are different by um, ethnicity. And we've shown ethnic differences in progression as well as risk factors and um, not only that, but also gender and age of onset. So Pat Bailey, can you talk to us about your experience with Alzheimer's disease, uh, particularly as it pertained to your mother? Yes, yeah, so as it related to our family, mom of, in this instance, did have Alzheimer's. That was the diagnosis. And that goes to Dr. Johnson's point of ruling things out because the presentation of the form of dementia is different. Um, in this instance, with her, her diagnosis, it came as a result of the basic life changes. Um, she was a bank teller who could no longer balance her checkbook. That was oxymoronic for us because mm. she was somewhat of a mathematician in her own right. Uh, she began to lose things. Uh, my mother was a person who was raised um, in the South, uh, we had a lot of order in my house, y'all. I mean, it was, uh, you did not have your clothes in a chair. It was in the closet. And my father actually gave my mother a nickname called Neat. She wasn't neat anymore. She was not neat anymore. And that was peculiar. Um, she began to hide things that she could no longer locate. Uh, and, and by the way, Sybil, what was interesting is about what she was hiding mm -hmm. made sense in how she was raised. She was hiding the silverware. 
because back stuff. in the day, the good stuff, she was putting the good stuff away. And we would get over to the house and all we could do is find a, a plastic fork and a spoon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. She didn't want y'all to get the good stuff. <laughs> she did not want, hey, you put the good stuff away. So in this instance, uh, at the time I'm in Dallas, my sister, uh, it was still in Chicago took mom to get a diagnosis and there were multiple tests run to draw the conclusion of elimination. In this instance, it says your mom has Alzheimer's and it changed our lives. And for me forever from that moment on. Yeah. And this was 10 years ago. Mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in uh, 1998 and she oh. died as a result of it in 2004. Okay. We believe to the earlier point that Dr. Johnson made is we could go back and track her change behavior though. Mm -hmm. Right. And we took a look at after she had had a medical scenario in this instance, she had um, a hysterectomy mm. and uh, she was very difficult to resuscitate. We were able to talk to her doctors because that's part of the process with our families and not having great access to medical care is having that log and understanding what their live what what is their life like what's been going on in their life you know when's the first i love this word we say present it's called presentation mm. when did it present itself uh we begin to take a look at that and we believe it came as a result of that in, in her overall life and we want families to understand we get to be a certain age you need to keep track and i tell my son uh if I don't remember certain numbers anymore and he knows what they are, there's a problem because mm -hmm. I can't help but remember numbers. Mm -hmm. yeah. Dr. Johnson, I heard you give up mm, when Pat said that her mom had a hysterectomy. Are there, are there certain things, uh, uh, well, what surgical procedures or, or things that happen that perhaps we should be looking at as, as it proceeds? Alzheimer's or at least a diagnosis, a diagnosis of some type of uh, dementia? Well, so women are more affected by Alzheimer's disease than men. Um, and we don't know why they have a greater prevalence. However, a specific medical event like that and not being able to recover from the anesthesia, it's, it's really, um, it's very interesting because a lot of families will say that after a certain medical event that was when they really noticed that their family member could not recover in that sense, in terms of memory. How has research changed um, in, in the advancement uh, in determining Alzheimer's or other types of dementia uh, since Ms. Pat's uh, mother was diagnosed uh, back in 1998? I can imagine, uh, I would hope that there has been a great advancement in this, but uh, you never know. <laughs> well, Ms. Pat, I would love to know that. Did your mother go through memory testing? Absolutely. So the great part is uh, being that we were Chicagoans, Rest Presbyterian St. Luke is renowned in the area of Alzheimer's research. Um, so upon the diagnosis, and this was uh, discussions with primary care physician, this is also this discussion with the gynecologist. This was extremely important uh, because this was during the time where you even dealing with women on whether or not they needed to have hormonal treatment mm -hmm. directly following that, that was a discussion. And yes, she definitely went through the, the full scope of the testing. And when she got the diagnosis, Dr. Johnson, 
we were actually there. And what's amazing about it is when you look at the numbers and my getting involved in this space of outreach, we were dealing with about 5 million cases of Alzheimer's uh, back in 2010. But right now we're looking at 6 million and it's, you know, you've got about one in two black households that are impacted by it. The numbers are going the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Now, are the numbers going that way because, are the numbers going that way because the diagnosis is, is better and more efficient or because there's truly more people with Alzheimer's, do you think? Or well, both? I think our population is aging. Um, and that's why we're getting more people to the age range where you're more likely to have a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. We talk about the silver tsunami all the time. Mm. Population is aging. Um, but I do believe diagnostics have gotten better. People are more aware thanks to the efforts of people like Pat and Alzheimer's Association doing um, a lot more education and outreach. Um, but the risk factors are some, you know, the longer you live, the greater chance you have of developing Alzheimer's disease. And the risk factors are highly prevalent, like hypertension, cardiovascular disease, high cholesterol. All of those things are really prevalent in our in all of our communities now. Um, but uh, Sybil, I want to go back and, and answer yes question about how diagnostics have changed or where the research is going. So I, I doubt that, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do is to be able to scan the brain to see if these proteins, amyloid and tau, which we know are what is happening in the brain as a person has Alzheimer's disease, we're trying to see if we can scan them and see if those proteins, particularly amyloid, are elevated in the brain. Now, that is still not, um, all of these tracers have been recently approved. They aren't covered by most people's insurance. Mm -hmm. So you typically don't get them in a clinical setting. Uh, however, all of our research participants are allowed to have these scans to see if there is a high prevalence of amyloid in the brain. And that's cutting edge diagnostics. It will eventually be cutting edge diagnostics. Another area that we are looking at is we know that Alzheimer's patients have certain proteins in their blood that are elevated. And so some of the work on our study is to understand what proteins put someone at, at more risk. And hopefully one day we can develop something that you can go and on your yearly visit to your doctor, check your blood and see if you are, are having these proteins develop. Uh, we also know more about genetics. Now, genetics is, is lower on the totem pole in terms of diagnosis because we still don't have a great understanding about how that impacts your onset. Wow. Um, so this is uh, a good time, I think, for us to um, to talk about people being involved in a study about black ALC, uh, about uh, Alzheimer's as it affects uh, the uh, African-American community. As Ms. Pat said, uh, one in two families, black families are affected by Alzheimer's disease. So let's talk about the study and how people who perhaps uh, would like to be a part of the study and, and want more information, how can they do this? 
Well, sure. Um, anyone who wants more information about our study can go to our website at blackalzbrainstudy.com or mm -hmm. they can call our phone number at 817-735-2963. Um, this is this study, um, we will have people on the phone that can talk to you about what types of things you will undergo. Um, basically, the study takes place over a couple of visits. Um, you do a series of memory testing, um, an MRI, a PET scan, a blood draw, and then you get all your results back or you can have them sent to your doctor if you prefer. And how long a period of time are we talking about? How much time are people asked to, to vote to this? So we try to break it up over a couple of visits. It's a mm -hmm. lot do all at one time. So <laughs> That's a long day. <laughs> yeah, a long day. Um, but anywhere uh, between three or four visits lasting between and two hours to three hours at the most. For mm -hmm. the and what about age range? 50 and above. 50 and above. Okay. We know that Alzheimer's disease is developing in the brain 10 years before symptoms actually develop or mm -hmm. can be detected by family members and doctors. So we've got to study it earlier and earlier. Are there a medications or advancements in medications, Ms. Pat, do you see uh, as a result of, of what you have gone through and what Dr. Johnson uh, can perhaps uh, engage us in that conversation too, but uh, we see advertising, you know, about uh, mm -hmm. taking uh, some sort of medication or another. Have there been advancements in this since you back in 1998 were, were faced with this? So I'm gonna let this be a two-part question to that, to that okay. scenario. And I'm going to speak to it from the lane of the caregivers that I talk with. Uh, most assuredly, they are prescribed uh, on average two to three types of drugs to address cognitive decline. Uh, my mom was on a, uh, a particular um, drug that they still prescribe to this day. But the thing that's extremely important um, as we look at the numbers and we look at the process, no matter whatever happens, it is going to only work for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. and, and the way in which I basically talk to families about it is it's, it's actually an opportunity for you to have your loved one cognitively get their business in order and for you to have the dialogue with them in which you can make that happen. But in that it is a progressive disease and there is no cure. And, and one of the numbers I looked at recently uh, to the way the numbers are going, which goes back to um, Stephen, to your question, there's 220 million people over the age of 50 in 2030. There's 142 million right now. We're aging as a country. Mm -hmm. So the opportunity to get those tests earlier, but those drugs are designed just to give us a moment in time, but there is no cure. So as people, as more, more, as this is going to be more of a challenge for you know every everybody uh, around the world in this country, people need to because it it is is progressive, right? It's a, it's progressive, um, and it's it's slowable but not stoppable. So when people think about how what their what their uh, the person they're giving care to um, is going to need care down the line, it, it's kind of you know it's kind of binary. It's either in the house. Or outside of the house, have you found that that, that if you know, outside of the house, are there certain 
uh, characteristics that um, uh, homes or places have that make an effective, tr not, if not treatment for Alzheimer's, at least making it very comfortable to patients as, as it gets progressively worse. And Pat, as, a, as one who had both, right? Yes, uh, you yes, can really I did both. Yeah, as, as well as today. So the, the, the care of somebody in the memory loss lane has changed since my mom. Um, actually, we were pretty radical in that she actually was at home. We then moved to what we called a, um, and, and by the way, at home has a formal term, uh, Stephen, it's called uh, aging in place. Mm -hmm. And that's extremely important for people to know and understand so that if you Google that, you can then look at resources associated of what are the tips and tools you need to do when aging in place versus a residential care facility versus a memory care facility versus a nursing home because in this process you may you may have more addresses for an individual who's over the age of 65 than you have from the time <laughs> in which they're young okay right. it, it's right. just it was crazy mom had four living environments within a span of as little as eight months so what we try to do is we try to say to understand where your parent is going to go is to understand where they are within their presentation of the disease. That's number one. So it's your ability to continue to care for them, your ability to continue to give them instruction and their ability to follow your instructions. Because what you're trying to do is you're just trying to keep your parent here on earth, mm. honestly. And when you take that role, you can't take it lightly. Each one of these facilities or these roles of these, this living scenario comes with instructions on how to manage it. And I need to say this very importantly for the audience, as it relates to our federal system that is highly engaged in this aging process, they want you aging in place. They want you at home. And that brings a lot of dynamics into play. Why? Why, 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 why? All right, so there's costs. So in the case of, um, in my case, I was traveling, what, 52 trips a year. You guys know the story. And in my volunteering to bring my mom down, I had to seek help in extended caregiving. That resulted in a, um, an assisted living facility, uh, otherwise known as a memory care facility in this instance. And her care was $3,300 a month for over two and a half years. Versus. Okay, it, you know, it, it, it may help. It, it may help to, to to break down. We know what aging in place is, but what's the difference between a residential care facility, memory care facility, and nursing home? So we can follow as you tell us the trajectory. So, so I want you to think about a memory care facility is an opportunity where there is still quality of life associated with daily living age. They help them eat. They help them uh, be clothed. They have activities for them as well. Uh, the difference in a residential care facility, they may only be licensed. I think the state of Texas is not more than six to eight people. When you get into a memory care and a resident and a actual um, larger facility, they may go up to anywhere from 30 to 50 individuals. Nursing homes are larger. And in nursing homes, you also can have it at some point in time where there's skilled nursing that's going to be required and associated with the overall care. So my mom went from uh, aging in place. She went to a residential place where it was four adults there. Uh, she lasted for two months, by the way. 
Uh, I'll tell you what happened if, if we go along the uh, go along the same trajectory of discussion. Uh, she was in a actual assisted living memory care facility. She lasted there the longest because it gave an actual life for her. Now, why is that important? When you have Alzheimer's and dementia, they typically do not fit immediately in a nursing home environment. And that when you think about those that are over the age of 65, that can become Medicaid qualified based upon their financial status. A nursing home is usually an option for you. Unfortunately, when it comes to living and you've got a memory loss, it has to be a locked facility. People mm. with dementia who are still thinking, I am here under duress. I, I, I want to go back home. Mm -hmm. Why am I here? And as a result of that, you have to choose the facilities based upon the guidelines and they all bring a financial picture that's different and aging in place, by the way, the reason why it's favored right now by the government dramatically is because an average uh, facility is going to charge the federal government anywhere from $6,000 to $8,000 a month for overall care versus aging in pay place. You can actually be compensated as an unpaid caregiver, which there's 11 million unpaid caregivers right now in the United States different states will pay you to care for your parent and your loved one at home under a uh, a grant program or you may very well qualify which brings in medicaid and then you can get assistance it is a convoluted it wow. is complicated it is going in a matter of a month you go from kindergarten to a graduate degree because if you don't your parents at risk a lot wow. of information that is a lot to take in, uh, and especially as you're under a great deal of stress uh, and, and, and not to mention the rest of your life. Uh, you, the, 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 there's the parental dimension or, or family member who's going through this. And then there's the rest of your life that you're also juggling and trying That's to right. make the best decisions. Um, it, it seems overwhelming, Dr. Johnson. Um, and, and, and yet you guys have made great strides in, in, in all of this. Um, or, or can we can we still continue to say that there are strides that are being made as a result of of these studies that you are are part of? Absolutely, I think this is one of the most exciting times to be in Alzheimer's disease research. For so long, it felt like we were hitting a wall, um, and just in the last five to ten years, I mean, the United States uh, has changed its attitude on this. They've increased funding for research. Um, we went from being the NIA, which is the National Institute of Aging. They went from being under, um, you know, under a billion dollars a year to getting, now we have tons of funding to get, well, not tons, but we've got more funding for Alzheimer's research. <laughs> um, but no, we are finding a lot of there's been a lot of new discoveries. And in terms of even therapeutics um, at UNT right now, we have one of the first Alzheimer's prevention studies, uh, which years ago, we would have never even thought that would be possible. Mm. Um, Steve, I don't know if you can speak to this, but um, as one who cares for for your, your, your mom uh, and, and, and all of this, I can only think in terms of 
uh, and Ms. Pat, I'd like your opinion on this too and, and, and bring you all into this. Um, we want the best for our parents and yet the, 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 the way that these facilities are presented, I mean, Ms. Pat, you, you give us a number of different options that are available to us, but we want the best, but yet our finances are, are you know, limited uh, for most of us. Uh, I can't say, you know, we're like a Ronald Reagan family and dealing with his Alzheimer's. Um, but how do we balance this? And, 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 and Ms. Pat, are there, is there like a guide for us as we are presented with this? Uh, Stephen, did you want to go first so I can jump right on well, in? Well, the, the, the funny thing that I have to say is that my, my mother, like I'm, I'm going to have more dementia than my mother ever will. She, uh, <laughs> my, it, it, it's already, like literally already. Um, my mother was very different. She has, she, she's 93 and was determined, um, like she started looking for a place where she was going to live out her life five years before she decided she wanted to move. Right. So she found a she found a um, a, a residential facility um, uh, that is independent care that can adjust really quickly to assisted care. Um, and, and so I'm fascinated by this. I'm fascinated by um, the, the difference between residential care and memory care and nursing home is really about numbers as much as it is about care. Right. That's that's the that, see, that was that's a revelation to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so my care of my mother is very different. She's still, you know, a 93, I'm about 60. She's still caring for me more than it's the other way around. But I understand <laughs> that the dynamic for most things switch at some point and um, kind of the same need for level of care can be can be handled very differently in two different families. And I think I like I have friends who have that where no one lived near the parents. So it, a facility was the thing to do where there was someone else where the parent moved in and it has not gone well if if, if, if i can if i can say that i am curious as to um you mentioned i want to go back to why the residential care facility did not work um okay so i've got i've got two questions i'm going to answer um may lee needs uh wasn't sleeping at night Mm. Uh, the drug that she was on kept her up. Why did it keep her up? Is because she uh, she was fighting it. She she was willful. So at night, Stephen, uh, she's in a home environment. There's four bedrooms. Uh, she shared a room, and one night uh, it was Christmas time. She basically unwrapped all the presents. She <sighs> took all the ornaments off the tree. Uh, oh my gosh. And I get the phone call that says, your mother doesn't fit here. So let mm. me go to that lane. <clears throat> you make the best choice. You and my, In my lane at the time, I was financially in a place where I could compensate, but do they fit? Right. Does that make sense? Sure. So, so. Well, it, it I makes sense, but it, but it also makes sense that it, it would be, it's like, it's hard to tell. Like it, 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 there's, exactly. especially when you have yeah. no experience in this, Exactly. the challenge is exactly. people are trying their best and sometimes the best doesn't go the way they want to. And I want to make sure that people don't feel disheartened when that happens. And you don't want to think in terms of trial and error with your parents or, or your, your loved one, you know what I mean? But, but that, it seems that's I, the way it's going. It, it actually isn't because I, I want to be clear for everyone. The difference is Stephen said something about his mother making a decision five years ago. Anyone hearing our voice right now needs to have a care plan. Mm -hmm. 
They need to do the evaluation now because it is real. I didn't know. I did not know. I had no idea of the system. And I'm trying to keep the job that was going to care for paying for my mother. And then she could be home with me on the weekends. We could do, you know, I would be her respite care. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Mm -hmm. Which what we're trying to do in this caregiver outreach initiative is to educate the families on how to age well together. Do not be surprised. If you are 50 in America today, it's ticking. The clock is ticking. It's DNR versus DR. It's uh, power of attorney. Uh, do not it resuscitate. Is. DNR. Do not, yes, do not resuscitate and do resuscitate. Very, very important document. Because you don't want me to decide if, in fact, you do or don't want to be resuscitated. Just out of clarity, right? Mm -hmm. You you are supposed to have the the opportunity to understand: Are you going to be Medicaid eligible or not? Mm. Because if you're not, there's a twenty percent gap that you're going to contend with, and it goes on. My our goal and objective is to make available to these families and these loved ones the opportunity to plan their next <laughs> period and point blank. Um, Dr. Johnson, I, I hear you amening there. Is there anything that, that you want to add to that? Well, I think it's important for everyone to make their wishes known. And particularly among the family members, I think that's one of the hardest things with the family is, you know, mom or dad doesn't sit down and say, this is what I want. And so then it can cause a lot of stress in an already stressful situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, wait a minute, Dr. Johnson, that's not even counting the siblings, right? And, and wait a minute, and, and the siblings that may not have an opportunity, to, of course, to contribute anything financially, but it doesn't take away from the opinions. <laughs> Just saying, it's, it's a plan. It's a family plan. That's what happens. It's well, and you always say, Ms. Pat, that a diagnosis of dementia is a diagnosis of caregiving for the family. Absolutely. It's definitely there. Um, so more brothers, more, pro more brothers and sisters, more problems. Most siblings, more problems. <laughs> I, I tell you what, it's so funny, Stephen. The number one class that people attend is navigating sibling relationships, where you learn about too tight Teddy, too busy Betty and Bob, shame Sally, and resentful Roddy. Because mm -hmm. one of the friends, one of the friends I'm referring. Right. One of the friends I'm referring to went through that exact same situation. It, it, it changed the dynamics that they'd grown up with tore kind of tore them apart in different directions. And mm -hmm. to your point, you know, some, not everybody can contribute the same amount of money. Not everybody lives the same distance away. And so all of these things, I, I, I imagine you've seen case after case of this, this factoring into it and hope, hopefully not factoring and fracturing. But 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 it feels like that might be a, the case. Is that something you've seen? Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that you see continuously. And one of the things that I would say to the listening audience is the objective in this caregiver planning process is that everybody has a role. So when we figured it out, literally all through the time in which my mom passed away, it was clear, even when we knew that she was going into hospice prior to that, we knew what our role was going to be. And, and that's what the plan does. That's what it does. Right. 
And and do you recommend that all family members participate in, in these classes or, or all of this so that you can figure out what your role is and be honest with yourself and each other regarding this? Because everybody, you know, <laughs> what kind of person says, I don't want to have anything to do with daddy's care? You know, I. but eventually oh, it comes down my, to that. Oh, 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 they, oh, oh they say oh, that. My, absolutely, a hundred percent. I throw my hands in the sky on that one. I've seen it recently. <laughs> Woo, and it's stunning and it's stunning because you don't expect yeah. it but when something like this comes along people reveal who they really are i'm, I'm sorry I'm, this, this is kind of this is kind of fresh in my mind because it just happened recently um but but it, it, and and if you suggest uh what's a suggestion what's the suggestion of how this should be approached when there's a dynamic in the family where there's one who's really caregiverish, but <laughs> the others are less so. And, and, and those characteristics that you just said, Ms. Pat. So yeah. honestly, I, 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 I'm very, very transparent. Um, I was a perfect person to take what I called to be the lead role. Now, if my siblings were on the phone call, they were like, we were there too. Mm. Point being, mm. it does take a village, okay? Uh, number two, one of the things that happens is I will tell caregivers, I'm sorry, under the auspice of leadership, there is a leadership, there's a person who takes that front role. You can look left and right all you want, but do not get it twisted. That is your job. Deal with it. Mm. You're going to, because what is your other alternative? But the question becomes, even when you deal with it, be prepared to be a caregiver for yourself, a caregiver for that loved one that is being cared for and then be mindful of the siblings around and their overall roles. And why is that? Because Stephen, you, you called it. You don't want the family, and I deal with this continuously, the family will splinter into all kinds of broken pieces. And what I usually do is I try to take all the siblings back to what their mom and dad envisioned for them as children. Hmm. Who wants the family fragmented? But I don't, I'm not confused. We, um, we split the roles up a lot, but I'm anal. <laughs> I, walk, <laughs> I, think I, I think I'm the boss in a lot of ways and um, they allowed me to do certain things, but um, every, every sibling had a different role. Yeah, this is what it's, I, I've had a couple of situations, not just with caregiving, but their families like that and people play different roles. They think they're all equal, but they're not. So I call the one who really does the thing, you're the Michael of the family. Like, you just gotta admit, <laughs> you're the Michael. It always goes back to music. <laughs> no, no, they're, they're, I'm, I'm serious. Like, everybody wants to have that same role, but like, you're the, you're, you're Michael. There are, I have friends who are women and men who I who have different names. I call them out their name all the time. Like, you're Michael. You have to accept that responsibility because Joe and Catherine's health depends on it. Now, 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 let me ask you, who's the Randy? Um, no, I'm kidding. So as we get close to, uh, to the close of our discussion here, um, I, I want to recommend that uh, people who would like to uh, participate in this new research study uh, to take a look at the website. It's Black ALZ, as in Alzheimer's, blackalzbrainstudy.com 
or call 817-735-2963. And as as we have said over and over again, and Ms. Pat has reminded us today, uh, Alzheimer's impacts half of all Black families. Why is this happening? You can be a part of this study to find out why. And uh, it is very important that, and I know that we have, you know, right now we're going through this about vaccines and what have you and, and the Tuskegee experiments and things like that. We have to get past this if we do want to make a difference and play a part in this discussion about Alzheimer's disease, about dementia and how it affects the African-American community. Dr. Johnson, would you like to add anything before we close today? Well, I, I think you you really hit the nail on the head. Less than 5% of participants in Alzheimer's research are African-American. And this underrepresentation really makes it difficult for us to understand why Black Americans are at increase, increased risk for this disease. And so participation is so important. Mm-hmm. And, and African-Americans have been in the fight against Alzheimer's disease from the very beginning. One of the founding scientists of Alzheimer's disease was Dr. Solomon Carter, who worked with Dr. Alzheimer's mm. and covered this disease. So this is definitely such an important study and, and we're so honored to be a part of it. It's, it's groundbreaking. And I think that uh, the, the fact that we could help uh, not only our, ourselves and our family members, but uh, look to the future and making an impact on that as well. Ms. Pat, I need to find out and I need you to tell our listeners about Finding New Tomorrows. So we have finally come to a point to put all of the planning process in a guide for caregivers. Uh, where they know where to go get resources so that the phone calls can continue, but more importantly, they are familiar with what's available to them in their own specific communities. And I appreciate you asking that question. And I appreciate the fact that you guys have given us that opportunity. But just like with the Black ALZ Brain Study, when you go on that site, there's resources for caregivers Mm -hmm. that they can tap into. We've got to educate as much on the caregiving process and the stages that we've gone through now over the last number of years in being uh, dealing with Alzheimer's outreach, we now need to bring that aligned to the caregiver role as well. These families need to be prepared on what's coming and th- so that they know what to do far in advance as opposed to that diagnosis. You have to make that happen. Can I just commend you on having the foresight and, and the the the, the s- Sympatico in your spirit, that that loving and giving spirit and wanting to help others who are going through this, um, where you kind of went through this blindly and learned, you know, as you went along. um, And now you're sharing this with others. Um, That's really commendable. And and you, all of you need to be committed as well. Sybil, you, Yolanda, I mean, all of you need to be commended because it's going to take a community and a village. This is this is where we get to do it for, in my case, my mom said that they're saying something's wrong with my brain. And, and we need to even deal with that differently and how we talk about it. Mm-hmm. But I want to do it for my grandkids. I do not want my grandchildren to have to experience the subject of Alzheimer's in their life. It's a very mean disease. We need to do something about it. Um, I don't know if you all can hear it in the background, but uh, they're they're amen- amening all of this conversation. That's the thunder 
that we're getting. So, <laughs> I, I like to think that it is. Um, and and Stephen Hill, I, I want you to um, to to be able to close out too because your experiences, um, as far as you know, what you're going through with your friends, as much no, as you it, can. It, it's it, it no, it really it really is uh, about family dynamics and really. And I, and I talked about this at the beginning, and and and, and Doctor Trevelli. Oh, there's the thunder. There's the thunder yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, that's, that's, it, it, and then it, the dog about, is amening too. Yeah, yeah. But be, being being prepared because it look, it's never easy to see your parent. I, I hate to use the word deteriorate. Is there a better word from deteriorate that you use in the profession? Is there a better uh, word than deteriorate? Is a decline? Decline is what would decline. be. Decline. It it's tough to see a parent decline, and it and it and it it you know the moments when you're recognized, moments when you're not recognized, moments when your parent is asking for somebody who's been dead for ten years. Um, mm. But planning the care, whether it's aging in place, a residential care facility, memory care facility, or nursing home, to for at least in my experience with my friends is the most crucial thing that plan that plan that plan mm -hmm. uh and working it out and determine and determining who's michael miss <laughs> 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 pat how can people get in touch with you and and find out about finding our new our tomorrows so we'll have more information coming on that under the sheageswell.com umbrella mm -hmm. but i also want to say this Sybil, as you're right we're getting a lot of uh applause from the thunder and lightning right now um i also want to uh, give a shout out to dr johnson and her life work in this particular corridor right um that black alz brain study uh website and the materials and content that's there and the opportunity to get into this study it's running a parallel course for what i need to do and so i'm excited that i've got such a great relationship with this phenomenal lead investigator because when this disease happens, we are running um, a two-lane highway. Mm -hmm. um, and so blackalzbrainstudy.com and then the sheageswell.com. But the main thing is the core, the core resources are there for someone to access on that mm -hmm. website. Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for your work, and thank you for, as 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 Pat Bailey says, uh, for for taking the lead on this and and being um, so involved and so compassionate uh, in terms of the research and and sharing your information with people and encouraging folks to get involved in the Black ALZ Brain Study as well. Um, we're going to give you the last word, Dr. Johnson. Well, I wow, you sound very different, Dr. Johnson. Oh, that wasn't you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to watch the directions. Now I know what decline sounds like. <laughs> I'm definitely not the Michael in the family. <laughs> I just want to say that uh, this is such an honor to be a part of, and it's such, I, I'm so grateful to have all of you to work with and to spread this message. But this is really our time to have the power to change the future. And the more we know, the better we can help people. Thanks so much, everybody. Uh, Dr. Johnson, Pat Bailey, uh, Stephen Hill, and I thank you so much for your um, for your leadership and for your participation today. And um, wish you both well in, in the uh, study as well as finding those new tomorrows. Uh, this is from Ha Ha's to Ahas with Sybil Wilson. Stephen Hill!
<laughs> sure thing. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Take care, everybody. guys. Bye-bye.